news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, February 7th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, Graphonic Show, a deep dive into Rihanna's pregnancy announcement, and putting the surplus into context. Those stories and more coming up now on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday evening. We hope everyone is having a non-terrible week six. Graffiti dancers and Tonic Tap collaborated for the seventh year in a row on Graphonics, a dance show last weekend that focused on temptation. Music ranged from Childish Gambino to Fleetwood Mac, but the main performance pieces centered around seductiveness and desire. Here's reporter Iris Swarthout with more. Audience members from across Northwestern and Evanston were lured into Graphonic's Temptation Dance Show this past weekend, a desirous performance hosted by two of Northwestern's premier dance groups on campus, Graffiti Dancers and Tonic Tap. The two performed in their seventh annual Graphonic's Dance Show, marking the first in-person show of the year for both groups. The performance utilized music from all genres, ranging from hip-hop musicians Mustard and Migos to the more romantic beat of Sam Smith. Tonic Tap Group focuses on a wide range of music, according to Hannah Gonzalez, one of Tonic Tap's artistic directors. Everywhere from like tessellated and like these crazy hip hop beats to um, like Joni Mitchell, I think was pitched a couple of years ago. We've had Beach Boys songs. Um, Melt was in this show. I'm thinking of just all the other like, it's a very, very wide range. And I think the, with the more new members that we keep bringing and the more different backgrounds, uh, like dance backgrounds, all of these people have, the more diversified it becomes. Graffiti dancers also fit in well with Tonic in that they have a somewhat broad range of music as well in their lineups. According to Tonic Tap member and Graffiti Dancers Artistic Director, Shira Kirsch. I would say it's also a range, but maybe less, a more narrow range than Tonic. Um, we, there are a lot of, like we have mostly different types of styles of contemporary and jazz and also like heels like like some fun pieces musical theater pieces um but it ranges anywhere from like slow like sad boy songs to like throwback jazzy songs like we had a um love shack this weekend's performances were a long time coming for audience members who hadn't seen either group perform in person since the start of the pandemic. According to Graffiti Artistic Director Maddie Banish, dancers from both Graffiti and Tonic Tap were excited to express themselves on stage again. Temptation was a really exciting show because as Artistic Director, but also as a junior, I had only ever done one show with Graffiti, given how COVID kind of changed the trajectory of all of our college experiences. So I think there was a lot of excitement, a lot of nerves, and just a lot of, um, like there was so much bottled up creativity that people were finally able to set on their dancers. So I think um, 
I wouldn't say expectations were really high, but I think it was just such an awesome place for people to finally come back and get to set the choreography they'd been thinking about during lockdown and during the at-home period. And the creativity that Banish alludes to is mostly channeled into more sensual pieces, such as Need to Know by Doja Cat. And All My Girls Like to Fight by Hope Tala. Both graffiti dancers and Tonics Tap have auditions at the beginning of fall quarter. According to Gonzalez, this is also in planning for Graphonic Begins. Choreographers pitch songs and choreography associated with it, and members of the two groups vote on what pieces they would like and which ones they would like to be in. After that, Gonzalez said, practices begin. We start with small group rehearsals for about an hour each week, uh, as well as our company rehearsals on Sundays. And um, so pretty much from, I think we got started around week three. So from week three on um, through about reading week of fall quarter, we, each group was meeting about once a week um, and we were meeting on comp- for company every Sunday. Um, and then over wellness, uh, the wellness period when we returned um, after we moved our show, I don't think anybody in Tonic actually held new Zoom rehearsals. Um, we kind of were just posting breakdown videos and. Um, making sure that all the members were up to speed. And then pieces got finished up um, in the last couple of weeks before the show. And then this last week was our tech week process. So definitely since the, the early weeks of fall quarter, for sure. And luckily, this process is awarded by funds collected from audience members, who each paid $5 for admission if students, and $10 if members of the general public, to see the show. Those numbers added up to account for various costs associated with Tech Week, whether that be lighting or stage management, according to Kirsch. Yeah, we set it up so that um, like each group was paying for different things. So graffiti paid for our lighting designer, Tonic paid for our videographer, and then we have other expenses throughout the Tech Week, like buying snacks and stuff. So I'm actually, like, I collected all the funds and then we're going to split it evenly like after deducting all those costs that we put in. Temptation was composed of four performances, two at 7.30 and two at 10 on Friday and Saturday nights at the ballroom in the Wirt Center for Performing Arts. And the audience members, well, they felt pretty enthusiastic about the performances themselves. Um... And I think I really like, it's a small space, but doing it in the ballroom, I think it's exciting that an audience who probably didn't come knowing everyone can kind of feed off each other's energy. Now that Temptation is done, Graffiti and Tonic Tap are looking forward to their next venture. For Gonzalez, the end of this nearly five month long journey has resulted in a whirlwind of emotions. I just can't believe that we pulled this off and I'm feeling pretty tired, but I'm feeling good um, and ready to start preparations for the next one. From Evanston, or whichever city you're in, this is Iris Swarthout, WNUR News. WNUR News will return after these messages. Stay tuned. 
I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison, why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back, and I never text and drive. On to arts and entertainment. WNUR News' favorite multi-hyphenate, Rihanna, announced her pregnancy last week with a series of glamorous and camp photos shared online. Here's reporter Jim and Kim with a breakdown of the moment. The art form known as a celebrity pregnancy photo shoot has a new winning entry. Pop star Rihanna and rapper ASAP Rocky have announced their first child with the release of a street shot by Miles Diggs, better known as Diggsy, the 20-something photographer named by Vogue as fashion's favorite paparazzi. After months of rumor and speculation, the musician and makeup mogul made her own silent statement over the weekend by walking around with their partner in Harlem, with stomachs bared for inquiring eyes. The series of photos by Diggs, posted on Instagram and sold to a variety of media outlets, feature Rihanna in a long pink vintage Chanel puffer jacket from the fall 1996 collection. It is a winterized and accessorized version of the maternity crop top trend, Embrace My Moms to Be, last summer. The coat's button, embellished by Gripoise crystals, mirrored the pendant's elaborate decoration. Worn over extra-long ripped jeans puddling in the street, the jacket is held up by another statement piece, a gold and leather Chanel chain belt. Her stomach, framed by the coat, which is closed by a single button at the breastbone, is covered only by a jewel-encrusted cross on a long pearl necklace, which is also by Chanel. Her hands are tucked into the pocket of her jeans, and her hair is in loose waves. ASAP Rocky is wearing leather pants, a Carhartt denim jacket, a hooded varsity sweater, and a black beanie. In one photo, they are strolling down a Harlem street, seemingly under the Riverside Drive viaduct, holding hands. In another, he is kissing her on the crown of the head, creating a loving circle of two. Though it is snowing in the background with the early flakes of winter storm Keenan, Rihanna's belly is bare, showcasing a gold cross pendant and brooch, styled as the focal point of a pearl and gemstone chain around her belly. There is what looks to be only a sprinkling of snow on their hair, suggesting the photos were taken before the weekend snowstorm and freezing temperatures in New York, and released on a planned schedule. The framing is carefully calculated in its pretend intimacy, both off-duty and on-message. Caught so that you get the sense that you are getting a peek into a private moment, though in a way that has been entirely choreographed down to the vintage diamond ring on her finger. 
In this, the Rihanna snap is the latest stage in a photographic tradition that can be traced back to the Demi Moore pregnancy cover on Vanity Hill in 1991. That portrait, featuring the actress cradling her distended stomach, new saw for a giant diamond ring, was so scandalous when released that it was banned from certain stores, despite being mailed with a paper covering. The shot started an image-making trend that extended to Cindy Crawford, Britney Spears, Sierra, and Gigi Hadid, though all of them were topped by Beyonce's 2017 baby bump photo shoot. That snap set a new standard for managing the public pregnancy reveal, becoming not only Instagram's most liked photo of the year when it reached 11.1 million likes, but also the first of an entire series of high-concept maternity photo shoot dropped by stars. naked as possible, or the Beyonce picture which dipped into art history, Rihanna chose a look and composition that seemed like a sly nod to fashion itself. More specifically, the photos referred to Anna Winter's first Vogue cover in 1988, which featured the Israeli model Mikaela Bursu wearing old guest jeans and a Christian Lacroix jacket, with elaborated jewel cross on the front, her hair windblown and wavy, laughing on the street. At that time, it was considered revolutionary, a way to let the stuffiness out of vogue, to demonstrate a raw, high-low era in fashion, and to herald the advent of a new power at the top. At this time, it underscores Rihanna's facility at taking ownership of establishment imagery and revising it to her own ends. Not to mention her ability to move product, both of which have helped transform her to mirror fashion icon to billionaire entrepreneur. Already, according to the online shopping site Love the Sale, searches for pink padded coats increased 200% in the hours after the photos were posted. For ripped jeans, 175%, and for pearl necklaces, 80%. ASAP Rocky also caused a spike in men's sweater vests, leather trousers, and Carhartt jackets. All of which suggests that when it comes to maternity style, not to mention baby kits, this may just be the beginning. For WNUR News, this is Jimin Kim. I'm sure the birth announcement will pop off as well. Looking over to oddities, Northwestern Grad Workers released its annual report on university finances last Friday after Northwestern announced an 87.8 million surplus for fiscal year 2021. Reporter Madison Bratley decided to take a closer look at just what exactly that number means. We'll be back after a short break. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take a deep breath in and let go of the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you hit that pinata into your neighbor's yard. Let it go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Amnesty International is a worldwide organization dedicated to promoting human rights. 
Amnesty conducts letter-writing campaigns and tries to raise public awareness about capital punishment, police brutality, and torture in the United States and abroad. For more information about Amnesty International, you can check their national website at www.aiusa.org. This message brought to you by WNUR. Why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. XOXOXO. You getting these texts? Question mark. Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. That's not cool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Here's Madison Bratley with the story. Northwestern had a surplus of $87.8 million for fiscal year 2021. The university's revenue totaled $2.56 billion and its expenditures were about $2.47 billion. In an email signed by Provost Kathleen Johnson, Executive Vice President Craig Johnson, and President Warden Shapiro, the surplus was called a, quote, small operating margin, end quote, and the email said that the excess mostly came from cutting back spending. Northwestern University grad workers on Friday released its annual report on university finances. To learn more about this research, I spoke with economics professor Mark Witte and the NU grad workers research chair, Andrew Montequin. We started with the basics. First, what's an endowment? Like you can sort of imagine if you put $100 in the bank at a 5% interest rate, every year you could go to the bank and take out $5 to spend and do whatever you want with it. And you can think of the endowment as like that. It's a big pile of money that earns a return that then allows the university to fund faculty salaries and dorm repairs and skating rinks and whatever. That's economics professor Mark Witte. There is some risk, though, because sometimes the endowment goes down, and so we wouldn't do as well. And, you know, certainly sometimes it goes up. There's also a little problem in that sometimes just the economy crashes and financial markets close up, sort of just freeze, and then this money we're expecting to get coming in from the endowment just doesn't come. Like you'd imagine it'd be really bad if some year a bunch of students just didn't pay tuition. We'd be like, uh-oh, you know, it's not like our costs go away. And so similarly, if the endowment doesn't come through for us, if it doesn't earn us very much, then, then we have to hustle around and cut spending or you know, borrow the money from someplace. So Northwestern has a operating Northwestern is expensive. And so we have to pay for that. And so one way to pay for it is tuition. Uh, another way to pay for it is a cut of research grants. Another way is you know, revenue from the Big Ten network and ticket sales and stuff like that, housing and like. And a big part of it is earnings off of our endowment. So we have this big pile of money. It grows over time. And we typically take out like 4% or so per year. 
But as long as we take about as much as grows back or even slightly less, then every successive generation of Northwestern students will have a somewhat better time. So why does Northwestern care about the size of its endowment? Ah, the bigger the endowment, the more that its earnings would pay for in terms of what we can spend in a given period. And what's a surplus? So we can first of all take that at face value and say when the university has a surplus, it means they didn't spend as much as they took in. What that means to me and to a lot of other people on campus is that they could have been spending a lot more to support the people that are on campus. For example, they easily, with that money, easily could have funded, just to give an example, easily could have funded insurance for dependents uh, of graduate students, um, or at least matched the federal funding that they used to send out these $2,000 stimulus checks. So they had more money to work with than they actually ended up using. That's NU Grad Workers Research Chair Andrew Montequin. For this question of is the goal to make a surplus? Like I said, the goal is always to support for future generations as well as the current generation. And part of that involves kind of over long periods of time, just growing the amount of money you have to support the people on campus. But that doesn't necessarily have to happen every on a yearly basis. You know, it should happen when averaged out over long periods of time, and it has. But you do see kind of individual years where they will have budget deficits. But Northwestern has tens of billions of dollars of assets that they can draw on for cases like that when there is just a small budget deficit. So the goal is to have a surplus in the long run, but year to year, it doesn't seem as important. In April 2020, Toward the start of the pandemic, President Shapiro sent an email to the Northwestern community to explain how the virus would affect the university's spending. Quote, the sobering reality for us is that COVID-19 is having a significant impact on many elements of university's funding, end quote. He also mentioned the endowment, saying, quote, The endowment was not established to fix budget shortfalls or manage crises, but rather to provide key resources needed to preserve our mission of academic excellence and research eminence far into the future, end quote. A lot of the fears that existed at the beginning of the pandemic about certain revenues like tuition and housing and gifts to the university, there are fears that those would kind of completely dry up as the pandemic happened. And those fears never really materialized, but we still are kind of left with the side effects of these austerity measures like budget cuts that individual departments had to implement and that the university as a whole had to implement. Comparing the years 2019 and 2021, the report said operating expenses decreased by $39.6 million, while operating revenues decreased by $20.5 million. That means the university's operating expenses decreased by $19.6 million more than their revenues decreased. The report also said that budget surpluses during the pandemic have been 20 to $35 million larger than the years immediately before the pandemic. So what happens to that surplus? Because we're a nonprofit, and I don't think surplus is the same thing as a profit. I also don't yeah. entirely understand. So I think they're pretty similar. Okay. Uh, we just yeah, call it surplus instead of profit because we're a nonprofit. How can okay. you have a profit if you're a nonprofit? <laughs> All right. So if we are a nonprofit, does that mean, does that mean anything for us making a surplus? Uh, it's the same. I mean, the, the, in a way, everything is a business. A dance studio, a musician playing violin out on the street corner, like a university, a hot dog stand. Like everything has to bring enough revenue to cover its costs. Otherwise it dies. And so with the nonprofits, the thought is that they are providing a social service. So be it a hospital or a church or a charity or a university, 
that it's doing something good for society. And so we've chosen not to tax it as a society, whereas Chipotle or Al's Deli or Target or something like that, <laughs> we're saying that that is not providing the same sort of beneficial externalities as a nonprofit. And so we we put the costs of maintaining society through taxes on things like that and on you know, individual people. But anyway, so, so Northwestern is seen as a nonprofit, which means if we have surpluses, we have to pour that into the mission. Whereas if we were for-profit uh, college or we were Chipotle with big profits, we could pay out the profits to the people who own us. But as a nonprofit, we're not really owned. And so if we have a if we have a surplus, we're supposed to reinvest that in the mission. So is the goal for the university to make a surplus? I think the goal for university is about a mission, that we want to serve the mission as well as possible. And the mission is to create knowledge, you know, do research and spread knowledge by publishing it and by teaching. And so the finances exist to serve that. And so I think we're trying to do as well as we can for the current generation while allowing for growth for what we can do for future generations. And you might say, why do we favor future generations over present ones? That's a philosophical question, but it's it is what is typically done. The report also points to $444 million in liquid assets, cash, cash equivalents, and in assets from acting as a lessee. It said those resources, quote, can be readily used to improve the quality of life of Northwestern employees, end quote. But what are liquid assets? And so having a bunch of liquidity on hand, like all this cash, that does make it seem like we're less likely to get caught unable to meet the spending we need to do because that cash is pretty easily turned into spending compared to our other assets that may be harder to turn into spending, but may appreciate more over time. Okay. So it's meant for emergencies, not for use in like buildings or something like that. Correct. I mean, you know, that we do spend some of the endowment. That's how we keep this place running. It is a, it's a big part of our revenues is this endowment earnings. But yeah, that we do keep some in the form of, of cash or you know something, cash equivalent, they call it, that doesn't earn us very much, but is there for emergencies. Now back to the research report's findings. What actually constitutes an emergency? So a hurricane is an obvious example. I don't think that's something we have to worry about really in Evanston particularly, but there are sort of, you know, maybe not these kind of very short-term acute emergencies, but longer-term effects of the university not financially supporting its workers or its graduate students. Seems like the university is pretty well endowed. You can listen to the extended version of this story on our website, wnur.news. Welcome back to WNUR News at 6. It's 6.27 p.m. In the headlines today... Northwestern's campus positivity rate has stayed at about 2% since testing requirements stopped two weeks ago. Currently, only students not up to date on vaccination requirements are required to test twice weekly. This week's rate is 2.25%, a 0.15 percentage point drop from the prior week. However, the university received about half the number of tests than last week, indicating a drop in testing numbers. Positive case numbers have dropped from 181 to 95, but this does not necessarily indicate a decline in positivity. President Biden emerged from a meeting with Germany's new leader to vow the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline in Europe would be blocked if Russia invades Ukraine. He made the statement during a joint press conference with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. 
This comes as President Emmanuel Macron of France has spent hours talking with Vladimir Putin. Currently, Putin maintains that Russia's foes are the only ones discussing invasion. The White House has expressed increasing alarm about potential military conflict. And the Winter Olympics continue in Beijing, with Team USA clinching three silver medals. Jalen Koff won for women's mogul in freestyle skiing, Julia Marino won for women's slope-style snowboarding, and the USA placed second in figure skating's team competition. Skier Michaela Schifrin crashed out of the Grand Slalom, earning a did-not-finish on her first run after failing to complete a course. Her teammate Nina O'Brien suffered a crash in her second run and was being transported for further evaluation. And figure skater Vincent Zhu will not compete tomorrow after testing positive for COVID-19. We're still waiting on Team USA's first gold. Taking a look at the weather, right now it's 23 degrees with partly cloudy skies and wind speeds around 12 miles per hour. Tonight you can expect a low of around 15 degrees. Tuesday will bring fog and mostly cloudy skies, with temperatures peaking in the 30s. Wind will stay around 10 to 15 miles per hour, but some gusts could get up to 25. Wednesday brings a chance for precipitation, with snow in the morning and rain in the afternoon and evening. Thursday during the day will be sunny, and chances for precipitation will increase again Thursday night. Heading into the weekend, you can expect some partly sunny and partly cloudy skies, with temperatures peaking in the late 20s and lowering to the 10s. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News and Instagram WNUR News 893. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our new website, WNUR.news. Our producer today is Sarah Kadora. Our reporters are Iris Swarthout, Jim and Kim, and Madison Bradley. I'm Allison Rapp. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. Catch our next show this Wednesday, February 9th at 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming.